We are not against the vaccine passport at all. Not at all. I think everyone has agreed that this is a good thing. The worst enemy here is still the confusion and the confusion in the communication. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively focused on covering the theatrical exhibition business. Joined today once again by our co-host Rebecca Pauly, deputy editor at Box Office Pro. We have a great episode packed with news to go over today, including a feature segment later on about vaccine passports. A timely topic of conversation considering that earlier this week, the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, announced that proof of vaccination will be required for anyone trying to access indoor entertainment destinations. Yes, that includes movie theaters. We'll be talking to our guest, Romeo Duchesne, our colleague from the box office company stationed over in Paris, who will be sharing the insights from the French perspective after the French market instituted a vaccine passport for cinemas earlier in July. So that conversation will be coming up in the coming minutes. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. And actually, this sponsor is coming through the concession stand. Oreo Cookies has figured out a way to take a concession stand classic to the next level. That's right, it's Oreo popcorn, and it's popping up at theaters across the country. This new blockbuster treat is made with real Oreo cookie pieces, drizzles of Oreo-based cake, and drizzles of Oreo cream. What better way to welcome back moviegoers than with an amazing salty and sweet treat that combines America's favorite cookie and popcorn to create true movie theater magic. Want to taste a snack that's destined to be a hit for yourself? You can head over to oreopopcornsample.com for a complimentary sample of Oreo popcorn. Again, that's oreopopcornsample.com to get your complimentary Oreo popcorn sample today. Let's start with box office numbers. Uh, speaking of Disney, how did Jungle Cruise do in its first foray out at theaters and uh, on, on Disney Plus as well? You know, I think it was a, a decent start. The movie came in at $35 million from 4,310 locations. To give you an example, uh, we were tracking this between the 20 to $40 million range, so a little bit close to that uh, high end in terms of projections, considering, of course, that this is a day-and-date release on premium video on demand. So if we look at these numbers, it is a little bit ahead of a similar family-skewing title like Space Jam and New Legacy. When it came out, I think that grossed around $31 million in its debut. This $35 million from Jungle Cruise is actually the third highest opening weekend of the pandemic behind Black Widow and F9. So all in all, not the blockbuster numbers that we're used to, but we are not in business as usual territory as we all know. And considering that this is a new franchise, I think this is a fairly good outcome uh, for this title. And if, if there's anyone here who has not uh, caught up with last week's episode, I really uh, would recommend that you go back and check that out. We had a really nice, candid conversation with two of the producers of Jungle Cruise, John Davis and John Fox, among other things, delving into the hybrid release model and 
uh, their thoughts on that same release model being applied to Black Widow and uh, the precipitous, you know, second and third week drops that it had. Uh, Daniel, we I think we know at this point, or we have a sense of what Scarlett Johansson thinks about that uh, that hybrid release model for Black Widow. Yeah, as you say, Rebecca, Scarlett Johansson issuing a lawsuit against Disney over their decision to release Black Widow on day and date PVOD simultaneously than in theaters. Of course, uh, this has financial repercussion for the film and for the stars that have financial stake in a film's box office performance. It looks like we are not the only ones uh, really asking for more transparency on what these uh, digital figures mean uh, for Disney+. And I think this is probably going to be an ongoing factor for a lot of these contractual agreements that studios have with their talent whenever a film opens simultaneously in theaters and at home. You have to wonder if this is going to uh, play into it all, Disney's decisions regarding Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, maybe other films down the line uh, that maybe they were considering doing a hybrid release versus keeping exclusively theatrical. You know, it it kind of boils down to the same things that we've been talking about, I, I think, for the entire year plus of this podcast, A lot of things are changing and we're kind of sifting through it like prospectors at a gold mine (laughs) trying to figure out which is pandemic only and and which of these things might carry through to the post-pandemic period. And uh, coincidentally enough, Daniel, that was the subject of a live session webinar hosted by Box Office Pro uh, and nonprofit group room in an exhibition that myself and my colleague uh, Michelle Cole at the Box Office Company uh, moderated. So yeah, let's go into that a little bit. Let's recap that session, Rebecca, because I thought there were some great insights from from those speakers. Now, you had uh, two representatives from the National Association of Theater Owners, Esther Baruth, the Director of Government Relations, and, and Jackie Brenneman, the General Counsel and Director of Industry Relations, they were quite open and upfront about different opportunities that they believe cinemas can take during this recovery period. What stood out for you from from those comments? Oh, there were there were so many good insights, both from Esther and Jackie, and from the other two panelists. Uh, those being Gurbani Marwa, who is the director of theatrical releasing at Cineplex, and uh, and Nicole Denson Randolph, who heads inclusive programming at AMC Theaters and has been a, a veteran of that company for I think about twelve years now. Um, but but really, the the thrust, the purpose of the panel was future leaders of exhibition, and and, and what we're saying is, look. We know a lot of things are up in the air right now. We know that uh, exhibitors are making deals with studios. We know that the Windows conversation is changing. We know that things are going to settle out, and we're not here to talk about the specifics of what's going on today. Once the dust settles, I really wanted to, to hear from these women who are really passionate about the exhibition industry about what changes to the status quo should be made. And there were a lot of good points made about the necessity of diversity of of programming. And and what I mean by that is not just accepting that these mid-range films, mid-budget films, maybe the smaller films from the major studios, just ending up on Netflix, ending up on a streaming platform, of of making a space for them in the theatrical experience, of of really marketing them and marketing them beyond the first week, which is something that that Gurbani of Cineplex uh, brought up that I thought was was really interesting. The idea that, you know, studios, they go gung-ho on promoting a title until 
that first weekend is over and then they're moving on to the next thing and the exhibitors are like, well, we still want people to come. (laughs) (laughs) And, and there was a lot of great things just talking, talking to Esther and Jackie from their, you know, boots on the ground experience and working with all these exhibitors throughout the last, uh, the last year and a half. You know, it may sound challenging to sit down and institute a social media program. It may sound challenging to to have a TikTok or to redo your website or to do any of these things, but you need to do it. Especially, uh, you know, what really hit home for me was Esther, Director of Government Relations, obviously been working night and day to get these shuttered venue operator grants out there. But she was saying, get involved in your local politics now. Reach out to people, talk to people, so that when a crisis happens down the line, God forbid, nothing again like a global pandemic, but create those connections, not just with politicians, but with everyone in your local community, with local businesses, partner with local businesses uh, for like a pop-up shop to sell books in your theater, you know, really integrate yourself uh, into the community in a way that makes you indispensable as a cinema and not just as a place to go to see a movie. So I, I thought that was um, a really great conversation, and, and we are so so thankful for our for our sponsors uh, for allowing this this webinar to take place. If you'll uh, Daniel, uh, give me a, give me a minute to take a deep breath and recite the list because I'm so glad we have uh, seven <laughs> companies helping us out: uh, GDC Technologies, Spotlight Cinema Networks, DTS, Omniturn, Vista, Movio. NCG Cinemas and Usheru. So again, thank thanks to all of those groups. But um, yeah, it, it was a really interesting, candid panel conversation that is available uh, on demand if you if you registered for that initially. And uh, you can you can look forward to our fourth final so far, but hopefully not final final uh, box office pro women in exhibition webinar on Tuesday, September 21st. I I know everyone's kind of just thinking of getting towards CinemaCon and not thinking so much beyond that. But if you, uh, if you can think of September as a concrete unit of time that you can think about, please do put that next one on your calendar. Now, moving on to our feature segment here on the podcast, this is a big topic that we've actually been covering through our sister publication in France for a couple of weeks now, vaccine passports. It looks like the concept of showing proof of vaccination to enter movie theaters is finally arriving here in the United States. It is now a reality. It's a, it's something that I think a lot of industry observers thought could happen at some point um, for businesses emerging from the pandemic. It looks like the rise of the Delta variant is driving these decisions. Um, and it's something that is going to be instituted in New York City first. As we know, New York City went almost a year without opening its cinemas before reopening them finally in March of 2021. Now, Rebecca, there's uh, some background to go over here, but let's, uh, let's start with the facts. Um, starting later this month in August... New York City is going to introduce the NYC Pass, which allows users to provide proof of vaccination that will be required for them to access indoor dining, gyms, and entertainment venues, including cinemas. Now, this is a measure to increase and promote vaccinations against COVID-19 in New York City, where, according to the New York Times, 66% of adults have already been vaccinated. 
this isn't something that's exactly unexpected. Broadway theaters have already said they're going to be requiring a, a vaccine passport. I've had to require them when I've gone to certain venues. I know, I know, Daniel, I believe you did when you went to Yankee Stadium. And Mayor de Blasio, in his press conference, really did start by shouting out the private sector companies that have embarked on this independently of a government mandate. And then he says, you know, with Delta rising, it's time for us to step in and do this as well. Um, there is about that month period where things will be transitory, where companies will be able to hopefully get their questions answered about the implementation of this. Uh, Daniel, I, I know you and I were both wondering, well, what about kids? Hopefully we'll get an answer to that at some point. But yeah, Mayor de Blasio uh, did specifically cite that right around uh, when this policy starts to be actively enforced will coincide with the first full week after Labor Day, which is, of course, a, a really busy time in, in the city. And there has to be some concern, I would imagine, on where the numbers are going to go with the Delta variant once we start getting into the colder months. And talking about the implementation of vaccine passports is this week's guest, Romeo Duchenne, the business development manager of EMEA over at our parent company, the box office company. Romeo is based out of Paris, France, and he's been covering the implementation of vaccine passports at French cinemas since July 21st, the first day when proof of vaccination was required over in France. Now, Romeo, this has been a, a scattershot uh, planning here from the French government in instituting this thing. Obviously, some major differences with the New York City plan. But I guess let's first start on a conceptual level. Can you walk us through what this vaccine passport is and what it means for French audiences? So we heard the, about the vaccine passport uh, a couple of weeks uh, now. So what is the vaccine passport? This is actually two things. You have to get fully vaccinated. So to have at least two uh, shots and a week after the second shot uh, in order to be, to be fully vaccinated or to get a PCR test no longer than, uh, no less than 48 hours. So in order to go to a movie theater, you have to, if we need to recap, you have to be fully vaccinated. So two shots and wait a week after the second shot, or to get a PCR test in the last 48 hours. So it's already a little bit complicated, right? So on the 21st of July, uh, the government asked all the cultural industry to implement the vaccine passport uh, right away. So everyone was a bit surprised because uh, they didn't ask for bar and restaurant the same timeline. Uh, this is why we were actually very surprised. And why this is a very simple and political reason, it's that we already had a law uh, in France that you can't uh, organize a cultural event with more than 1,000 people. So actually, the government just needed to do a decree and just uh, put the, the capacity of a cultural event lower than 1,000. That is it for bar and restaurant. They never had... Uh, um, capacity, uh, limit capacity, you know. So this is why it's more complicated for them. So this is why they need to write the law and uh, and and pass the law. So this is why cultural event was uh, before everyone else, every uh, every every other industry. So yeah, it was it was implemented on the twenty first of uh, of July. Worst worst day to implement that because it's like implement on the Friday for you in the US, which is a Wednesday for us in France, which is a release really right. date. 
release date for movies on Wednesdays in France. So yeah. basically opening weekend. And was it opening weekend of a very uh, highly anticipated domestic French title, right? It's, uh, it's one of the big domestic blockbusters that you guys had set to release. Yeah, totally, totally. It was uh, just to give you an example of so this movie called Camelot. Uh, it's, a, it's a story about King Arthur uh, trying to find the Graal, but it's a comedy. So it's a satire. So it's it's very very funny. They used to do a TV show about that. They have like uh, they were on air like for more than ten years uh, on on TV in France. So everyone was waiting for for this movie. So it's hugely anticipated. I know that there have been uh, let me say some some emphatic responses from from exhibitors, from trade organizations, from from professional organizations. But before we get into that, I want to ask, what was the response from audiences, many of whom clearly wanted to go out and see this film on opening weekend? Um, What kind of box office did we see there? And do you get the impression that um, whatever, whatever that box office situation is, how did the implementation of the vaccine passport play into it? Yeah, well, actually, this Camelot case study is quite perfect. Well, not in a good way, obviously, but uh, just a day before the vaccine passport, so on the 20th of uh, July, the 20th of July, Camelot uh, organized in the nationwide previews. So they did 300,000 admissions only for the previews. So it was only shows between 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. on the Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, where they have all the showtimes in the, in the world or in France, they only did a third of what they did the previous night. Wow. Ooh. So the preview grosses were 66% higher than the opening night grosses throughout an entire days of showtimes. That's a massive impact. Do you believe this is attributed to the impact of the vaccine passport? Why I think and why we think... Uh, the vaccine passport has so much impact is that every economic market hates confusion. And right now, this is full confusion. Because like you said, some theater doesn't need vaccine passport because they can organize uh, sh- uh, shows with less than 49, with less than 50 people, so top 49 people. And some theater, you need the vaccine passport. So when you are a movie fan and you want to see your movie in a movie theater, you have to ask yourself, too many questions. Well, actually, in home, you just need to turn off, turn on your TV or turn on your computer and switch on to Netflix. So this is why it's already a little bit complicated to 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 bring people to movie theater. Uh, when you have confusion, that's the worst enemy of the economic market right now. This is confusion. As we know, the New York City situation is different in that it is only one city. It is not nationwide where this is going to be implemented. And already we don't have these exceptions that confused audiences in the French market, right? So in France, you had an exception if you allowed up to 49 people into an auditorium, then you didn't have to have a vaccine passport. And audiences had to sort of figure out where they could and not see a movie. In the New York City model, as we understand it now, it is a general passport, so a negative PCR test doesn't apply. You do need proof of vaccination. And it does seem like it's going to be instituted generally across all cinemas here, barring, of course, any legal developments that may arise. Uh, A very different um, way of implementing uh, a policy than uh, what it looks like a very haphazard implementation in France. Of course, I'm sure 
um, organizations, trade groups uh, had strong reactions to that. How did the FNCF uh, react to these statements, uh, the FNCF being the trade body for cinemas in France? Well, very vocally, uh, now they are asking uh, for some aids from the, the government. Uh, we need more funds for distributor, for exhibitor. Um, but, but yeah, like I said, confusion is, is the worst and uh, the, the best. And like you said also, I want to say that we are not against the vaccine passport at all. Not at all. I think everyone is agreed that this is a good thing. The worst enemy here is still the confusion and the confusion in the communication also because some exhibitor like Big Circuits, yeah, we, we, to we totally forgot to say that. But since the vaccine passport, you don't need to wear a mask anymore. Actually, some theater are not, uh, are not putting this 50 people uh, seat capacity. So you have to ask yourself, you have to find the, the information on the internet. Confusion, confusion, confusion. And building on Romeo's comments, you actually were able to interview Richard Petrie, the head of the FNCF, the, the cinema trade body, on the uh, L'Emission webcast that you host every Thursday, with Richard Petrie being very open and saying, yes, French cinemas will implement vaccine passports, but it should be like the others and at the same time as the other businesses. So it's, it's definitely, I think, the biggest sticking point in the implementation of vaccine passports in France is that cinemas had to go first because of this legal framework that, that, that you mentioned, Romeo. Um, and on top of it, it seems like the policies weren't really that well thought out and implemented a lot of confusion in the market on the very day that a extremely highly anticipated film hit the market. Hopefully, New York City leadership can take that into account and be able to provide policies with enough time and place so we don't get that confusion for moviegoers going to the cinema. Look at the Fast and Furious 9 uh, drop on the weekend. Uh, so Fast and Furious 9 was released a week before the vaccine passport. Okay, so we have an example of what to expect there in terms of week-over-week -week drops, right? And, and what was the drop you were anticipating from opening weekend to week two? And what did the drop end up being after the institution of the vaccine passport? So roughly for a movie like 50, for Fast and Furious, uh, for the Fast and Furious franchise, usually the drop for the, the, the second week is between uh, 40 to 60%. Uh, it's the, kind of the same in the, in the US. It's a little bit lighter than in the US, but kind of the same, you know? Uh, but there we were expecting a little bit more. But when we saw the number that was like way to the roof, that was minus 81%, minus 81% on the second An week. An 81% drop. So that's nearly twice the usual drop week over week since the institution of these passports. So given that, given the ongoing concerns about the Delta virus, I know, Daniel, it's something that we've discussed and I think is a global concern. Are we seeing changes to uh, schedules and French releases now? Or are we having the, a flashback to, uh, to mid-2020 when it felt like everything was, was changing all the time? We're a bit in the middle right now. Um, I think studio distributor didn't want it to react right away because they wanted to see the numbers first. So uh, uh, they kept, like Universal kept Baby Bust in, uh, in August. Uh, so they, 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 they were brave, actually, for some titles. But right now, French uh, studios are leading the way, and they are postponing some. Uh, they are postponing some titles. Like we are anticipating a big, also a big French movie. Like the the, the first one and the second one of this French local comedy, were, like was one of the highest uh, of all time. Like 
reached more than 10 million admissions in France, which is huge. You probably have uh, one movie per year. If, if you have one movie per year that can reach those kind of level and they delayed to next year, you know, so it just happened like two or three days ago. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's starting. Sadly, it's starting. It's starting. Yeah, I think it's a good example of the detrimental effect that we can see if these policies aren't clear and easy to understand for audiences. One interesting story is about a French horror movie called Titan uh, because they got the prize, uh, they got the Palm at the Cannes. Oh, the Julia, the Julia, right, the, the Palm d'Or winner at Cannes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that yeah. one. Yeah. So um, actually, this movie was released on the on the 14th of July, so on the same week of Fast and Furious. So Vaccine Passport was not there at the time. They got the the prize from the Cannes Film Festival on Sunday. So, yeah, usually those kind of movies that get a price, they are releasing in the medium market and then, and then they got a boost thanks to, this, uh, thanks to this price. They got the boost, but then three days after, on the 21st, vaccine passport came and they had the 60% drop uh, compared to the day before. And so it totally killed their, uh, their career in the box office, totally killed their career. And it's not like they can bounce back by the time this is over. I mean, there will be new films. It's not like they're going to be able to really gain back that momentum of winning can. You're absolutely right, Rebecca. I can't imagine how frustrating it must have been for producers of this year's Palme d'Or winner, Titan, to find themselves days after the release in a completely redefined marketplace with uh, what seems to be a a hastily uh, planned implementation of uh, vaccine requirements for, for moviegoers. Confusing for moviegoers in France, unfortunately. Uh, we can only hope that moviegoers in New York City get a clearer picture of what is expected from them on their trip to the movies once this policy is instituted in either late August or early September. That is the timeline for the vaccine requirements for moviegoers in New York City, and we will be updating our website, boxofficepro.com, with all the details on these vaccine requirements in New York as soon as we can confirm them. That's boxofficepro.com. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us this week, and thanks again to our guest, Romeo Duchenne, for joining us on the Box Office Podcast, which is produced by Box Office Pro in collaboration with the Box Office Company and Record Edit Podcast. We'll be back again here next week to talk more about the movie theater business. Mm -hmm.